<laughs> well, anyway, um, God uses people to be able to come in and uh, smash into man's system. He uses drastic means. Sometimes he'll use supernatural means. Uh, he can use miracles. Particular ages, he's done that. But he usually uses uh, men, women, women, people, individuals, small groups, large groups. And uh, people are the vehicle that, that God uses to uh, go into a system that is uh, really a, a bunch of chaos. This world system is uh, out of control in, in a lot of ways. But he uses righteous people uh, and to run into this unrighteous system. And uh, Christians can create waves. They certainly have throughout all the, uh, the centuries. And so what we're going to do is look at this chapter uh, tonight. We're going to see a few kinds of people that God uses. Um, and these are ones who have an effect on the system. And, of course, at the end of verse 6 in uh, chapter 17, the people in Thessalonica, they're uh, characterized, uh, you think of uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy. And, of course, they said, these have turned the world upside down. And, uh, of course, like you say, it depends on which viewpoint you're talking about. The, the right side up is uh, God's viewpoint. But um, they're saying these people, these people that are Christians are just flipping our system like crazy. And they're creating chaos. And I think that's a great commendation coming from um, unbelievers uh, as they say what they were doing because it's amazing what the Word of God does, doesn't it? And so, um, I, wouldn't you like to be known as a person who turned the world upside down? <laughs> Christianity does. certainly does. Um, God, make my life an issue. Make it count. Um, make me be able to, uh, just by being here, make me uh, worth, worth, the, uh, worth the effort that, you, that you're working in me. There's got to be a reason why we're here. And, of course, we are here to glorify God and to take the gospel to people. And uh, we know that we can affect people's lives and a, a whole system. Anyway, that's what we, uh, we see here tonight, and it's a reality. Let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for this evening, and thank you for the opportunity that we can uh, come together and uh, study your word. It uh, certainly is a privilege and uh, we uh, look at uh, this particular passage of uh, the Thessalonians who became Christians and the noble Bereans who searched your word out very carefully. And we see the effect that your word has. And it truly does change people's lives. And it changes uh, systems. Uh, it can even come in and change cities, at least for a while. And we've seen where you have had revivals, you've had reformation. And uh, Lord, we uh, just want to be a part of uh, your truth. And your truth marches on, regardless of whether we see um, big numbers or not. The, the thing is, is that your word is truth. And there are people that uh, make an impact with it. Help us to uh, learn better how to... Uh, glorify your name through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, we're going to look at Thessalonica. And, of course, there are two letters that were written to Thessalonica. And, um, of course, we know that Paul's going to get ran out of town here. But in the meantime, 
um, we see the, the effect that uh, he makes along with these other guys that he's with. And remember where he had been, he would uh, have been in Philippi. And of course, we think of um, three cases of people that he ran into there. And of course, the church got started uh, through uh, the lady by the name of Lydia. And you remember, the Lord opened her heart. What a sovereign move of salvation. And then we had the uh, slave girl who had been uh, really uh, manipulated by uh, Satan, and but yet um, people followed her, and there were people that made money off of her. And then we see what uh, God did in that, and Paul commanding the demon to come out of her. And then there was the Philippian jailer, which we're all familiar with. And as a result of that, he uh, really um, had to leave the city uh, as uh, there had been uh, an impact made, and, and it's time to move on. And that's how we first get into Thessalonica. And of course, First Thessalonians, Second Thessalonians, great epistles. And Paul loved that church. And that's a, one, a, a great example of what the, uh, the church is, uh, the church at uh, Thessalonica. <laughs> And so we, we get to see the very beginning of this church. We see at Philippi and uh, now Thessalonica. So uh, let's go ahead and read um, this first section, uh, nine verses. And um, we're just dividing it up into Thessalonica in the first nine, and then from uh, 10 through 15, guess what? Berea. About the same area. Now, when they had traveled through Amphipolis and uh, Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And according to Paul's custom, he went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and giving evidence that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, who I am proclaiming to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks and a number of the leading women. But the Jews, becoming jealous and taking along some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob and set the city in an uproar, and attacking the house of Jason, they were seeking to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they, they began dragging Jason and some brethren before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. They stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they received a pledge from Jason and the others, they released them. Well, here's Paul, and here's the other followers along with him uh, that are going to a place. And... Um, People hear the word, and then people get upset. And that seems to be always the case. And uh, it, all through the book of Acts, we've seen that. And you know that Paul's got to remember remember all the pain and the grief that he's, he's had to go through. And of course, whenever he was beaten with rods, it was severe, and even to the point of close to death, uh, as he and Silas were uh, put in the jail and put into those stocks where they were just stretched and so incredible pain and grief that happened and you'd think okay maybe we're just not going about this right and maybe they just might want to turn back and go to Antioch the headquarters right well <clears throat> continues to do the same thing that he's done 
And so he doesn't give up on God with all the signs that would think like, maybe I ought to just turn back and go home. This is enough. Maybe at least take care of my wounds for a while, but that's, uh, that's not in Paul and the rest of the guys. And, of course, we know where they first go. They, they had traveled through Amphipolis and Apollonia, smaller places. And they had been in Philippi. And now as they go to Thessalonica, it's a bigger city. So they might have stayed overnight in those cities as they uh, traveled along, walked along. But um, usually on the agenda, you go to the place that is populated and then you let the people take it out from there. That seems to be the, uh, the going uh, rate of the apostles. That's the way that Paul operated. And, uh, of course, we know he uh, usually, almost always, if they had a synagogue, would go there. In Philippi, they didn't have a synagogue. So it really wasn't uh, highly uh, Jewish populated. But in the case of Thessalonica, it is. And um, seems to be uh, quite a few. And they make an impact on, on the Gentiles. So they, they come to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and that's the best place to go. Uh, and that's the system that he wants to buck. He wants to challenge them as far as the gospel is concerned. And it's amazing when, when you have the word of truth, you're, you're, rather, you're ready to take it anywhere you can go. And of course, he seemed to be welcome because he was well-educated being the Jew uh, that he was. Of course, you know he, he had been instructed by one of the best instructors in, in all of uh, Judaism. <clears throat> and so he goes here. And I, I think about people taking the gospel out whenever it's not really popular. You think of John Bunyan. Bunyan, who uh, didn't go the route of the Church of England, and he just went out wanting to preach the gospel, and he would take it wherever he could go. He'd take it out to the woods, wherever people would be, he would uh, preach the truth. Well, he was warned, and then he was arrested, put in uh, jail, and um, of course we know that Paul was familiar with that, and I guess if it was good enough for Paul, it was good enough for John Bunyan. (laughs) And... um, What was great about that and how God blessed that is that as he operated outside the Church of England, which was illegal, and that's really what it's coming to be here in Thessalonica, it's illegal to preach anything that would be against the the Roman government or um, their religions, as we uh, talked last week uh, about Philippi. But um, John Bunyan did the same thing that Paul did. He started preaching just everywhere. And... um, we know that he winds up in jail. Um, the thing is, is, God used that tremendously because while he was in jail, he wrote what? Pilgrim's Progress. And we know the rest of the story on that. We've told that many times. But um, they threw him in a cell. He was there for 12 years. And um, you know, it's like, oh, John, why, why, are you, why are you doing that? You know you could have kept that from happening. Matter of fact, they, they gave him plenty of chances to just go along with us and you don't have to be in jail. Nothing was going to stop him. He's going to preach the gospel and, and if he can't go out and preach it, then he's going to write it. And then he had a friend by the name of John Owen who helped him get his book published and get it spread. John Owen actually had the means to get it across because he had uh, connections in high places. 
and he was a well-respected, um, very well-educated uh, leader of the church. And so God was able to use that and to be able to get that book out. And, of course, um, that's amazing how God... It's interesting, too, out. about John Bunyan is that his parishioners would come to the wall of the prison and he would stand on one side and they would be on the other side and he would preach to them while he was standing in the prison system. And uh, <clears throat> they followed him even to the prison system. Wow. Still getting the gospel out. Still getting the gospel out. So jail isn't the worst place that you can be. <laughs> may look like it, may seem like it, but uh, Paul, just like well, John Bunyan later and many others, all throughout the churches has happened. They're willing to confront the system. And of course, Israel, uh, with their Judaism, uh, he was willing to confront that because it was in their scriptures. <laughs> it's the very word of God that he gives them. So there he is. He's in the synagogue of the Jews. Why not? That's where you first go. And according to Paul's custom, here's his custom. Here's the manner that he do. He went to them and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them. And his message is really uh, what he believes. It's his whole personality. Um, he was what he was because of his message, his content. It was embodied in his very personality. And so how could he not do that? That's what he lived for. That's what he wanted to do in, in every waking moment. Uh, the key to affecting the world is speaking the truth. And so he does. So he reasons with them. That means to uh, talk in a dialogue-type form. He would field questions. He would answer their questions. He'd just take the Old Testament that they had. And of course, it, there wasn't a New Testament at the time. He's beginning to write some, or getting ready to, isn't he? But um, And as he goes along, he's part of it. This is even recorded. And uh, of course, we know that Luke is is on the journey here. Well, with them, or he's he's kind of in and out sometimes, and then then all of a sudden we see Luke with them all the time. Uh, so anyway, um, he takes the Old Testament, opens it up, takes the the text where the Messiah had to suffer, and most people or well, hard, nobody really understood that. They never took it as the Messiah coming to suffer and then die, and then to raise from the dead. They they just never saw it. So that's what he does. He just takes one text after another after the Old, uh, the Old Testament and just starts expositing those and putting them together. It's kind of like a systematic theology on the Messiah. And, uh, you know, he, he's proving to them uh, just right out of their, their own book. So we, we know that. That's where you go. If you were to uh, uh, speak to a Jewish person, more than likely they're probably not going to know the, their Bible, but um, you, would, you would use Old Testament. You know, and of course, one of the places that you'd want to go to, I'm sure that he used Isaiah 53. Wouldn't you think of that? And mm-hmm. uh, you know, the suffering servant. Well, yeah, that's a key text. And at one time, they all believed that to be the Messiah, but I don't think that they put it together that he had to suffer like that. And of course, now as a result of Jesus claiming to be the Messiah, then is the Messiah. Uh, when you ask them today, they'll say, "Well, that's the nation of Israel." It's not the person that that would come the Messiah. It's them, or they'll use. I, I've even heard some of them even say, "Well, that is the Messiah to the Gentiles." 
But that's not the Messiah to the Jews. There's only one Messiah. <laughs> and and there's only, you know, one way of believing, you know. So anyway, uh I'm sure Psalm twenty two would have to be one, you know, about him uh, graphically uh, dying on the cross. And, of course, uh, out of the Psalms also you get a lot of passages dealing with the resurrection of Christ. David wrote on the resurrection. And that's the sermon, or uh, that's found in the sermon whenever Peter preached at uh, Pentecost. And then Paul has used that too. So they use a lot of the same, uh, same verses. But he says, now you're looking for your Messiah. He's the one that died and rose. And I'm showing you who this guy was. And uh, the Jesus whom I preach is the Messiah. Some of them start checking that out. Others start to get really upset. Three Sabbaths. Actually got three, three opportunities there, and probably more during the week. But he's saying, Christ fulfills this. So, three occasions, and he reasons with them, and that implies the mind. That implies thinking, doesn't it? He reasons with them. Uh, it's not just built on emotions, although emotions come into play. That's not really what he's after, that they would get so emotional. He reasons where they would be thinking. Um, these are absolute facts. And he's taking those passages. And I'm sure some people are going, but, 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 you know, and then they're, they're thinking that, that, that can't be, but they, they see it and they go, well, there is something to that, though, isn't there? And so, you know, a lot of people are really starting to examine it, maybe look at it a little bit more. And that's what we always want. We want to have scriptures ready to give an answer to anyone uh, for the reason and the hope that is within you. You know, we want to give them this and something to for them to reason about. That's why it's good to always have scripture in your minds. And uh, boy, if you if you haven't been reading uh, a lot lately, all of a sudden it's like you start forgetting where things are at. You go, I, I know where that's at. I can't quite remember what it's about. <laughs> and it's so good to have that in touch all the time. Somebody's going to need answers out there. The only thing is, they usually don't come up to you like the Philippian jailer and Janice. We were talking about that last week. Wouldn't it be great if somebody would just ask, what must I do to be saved? But unfortunately, it usually doesn't go that way. We would love it. If it would. I'll be glad to tell you. How much even, time do you have? It's once. That's right. Usually we have to uh, reason with them to get to a point of even thinking about that. But... Um, I think there probably was some opportunities for this Philippian jailer to have some thoughts before that. But uh, people need answers. And uh, we have them. Um, so, Psalm 22, Psalm 69, Isaiah 53. Uh, you can think of, there are literally hundreds, and I think it's been counted that there are over 300 prophecies of uh, uh, the, the birth of Christ. And you think of the, the life of Christ, you think of the death. I mean, ones that are specific. You know, it doesn't even take a whole lot of reading into the text. And of course, we think of this time of the year. We think of a lot of prophecies like that, and in uh, what in, in Micah you know, that he'd be born in Bethlehem. You just start putting all those together. What's the chances of, of that even happening? 
and it's, it's incredible. So anyway, um, we've, we've seen the synagogue, and we've seen the Sabbaths. Well, let's look at the saints here. Let's look at the response. And um, he reasons with them from the Scriptures, explaining, and that's, that's what you do with Scripture. You read them, then you explain them. Make them very clear, make them very understandable. And he gave evidence. Gives evidence. There, the evidence is all right there. You don't have to make up anything. It's there. That the Christ, or the Messiah, Christos in the Greek, had to suffer. He had to suffer. What did Jesus do on the day that He arose whenever He ran into two people that were called the Emmaus disciples? What did He do? He talked with them. And what did He give them? He gave them information from the Old Testament where who He was. And they didn't understand it until He broke bread with them. And all of a sudden the light started going on, didn't it? He had given them the word, oh, you slow of heart, right? Um, he showed them that he had to suffer, die, resurrect. You know, it's all, that's, that's the gospel, isn't it? And right there, you know, it's like they didn't even get in. They had been followers of him. What's interesting here, explains, give evidence that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead and saying, this Jesus, whom I am proclaiming, whom I'm preaching to you, is the Christ, is the Messiah. That's old hat to us, right? But let it come alive to you. Because if you're a Jewish person, and he's in the synagogues, and this is what they look to, and he's saying, he's been here. He's been, I'm here to tell you that, to proclaim to you, to preach to you that the Christ is here. He's raised from the dead. And verse 4, you have to like this. And some of them were persuaded. Join Paul and Silas. They were persuaded. I have to stick on that word for a moment. Now, um, the word here is a, it's a passive verb. And usually when you think about believe, trust, believe, um, that's the word for faith, right? Pastool is the word. Uh, that's not the word used here. It's the word patho. Patho. And it's a passive verb in the sense that it means to be persuaded. They weren't so noble as the Bereans, as we see in the next section, uh, in the sense that they would dig it up for themselves and really check it out, it's almost like they had to be talked into it. They were persuaded. And that's good. It's, there's nothing wrong with that. And then later on, we'll see a good thing about it as they definitely grew in Christ and they did um, accept the Word for what it was. But uh, he had to persuade them. That it's passive, not an act of sense. And that's why, uh, as he gives an airtight presentation... There's no wriggling room whenever uh, Paul <laughs> gives the truth and with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so with the Word of God and the Spirit of God and being able to take those texts that they needed so much, it brings people to salvation. And they became persuaded. They weren't necessarily looking. But Paul comes in, 
presents this tremendous case, this argument, and they became, some of them became persuaded. And it was actually against their will to believe, wasn't it? It is against everybody's will anyway. Nobody has a free will to choose Christ, but it it was against uh, their will, and they are now persuaded. And that's how that word is okay, because God is the one that made this. We were persuaded by whatever facts that were brought to us and shown to us that that was the truth. Yeah, yeah, we were we were not actively pursuing Christ until He had us doing that. So it's, it's His part. Let's uh, let's turn to um, Thessalonians just for a moment. Paul writes later. Uh, he had a little trouble going back into Thessalonica. You know, the the, the devil, um, you could say Satan hindered him. So what does God do? He has Paul write letters to him. First <laughs> um, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 13. You have to like this. You really have to like this. For this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you received the Word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God. Here we go. Which also performs its work in you who believe. So it, it not only you know, comes to you in truth, but it changes your life. You become converted, but a Christian also becomes become sanctified and is being set apart and uh, therefore he he does good works that those that he has chosen to do performs its work in you who believe and uh, so I like that as, as Paul wrote to them you received it that word of God and you accepted it as not being the word of, of like what Paul thought or his opinions but they really came to the, the fact that this is really the Word of God. Great. How about chapter 1? Verse 9 and 10. Here's what happened to them. First uh, Thessalonians. Verse 9. For they themselves report about us what kind of reception we had with you. How you turned to God from idols. That's repentance right there. That's a a whole turn. That's a, a change complete from turning to God from idolatry to serve a living and true God and to wait for His Son from heaven whom He raised from the dead, that is, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. You not only got saved there, but He also will save you from the wrath to come. You will not go uh, through the ultimate wrath of God. Um, this is the Jesus that was raised from the dead. Um, this is the that was the message that uh, that he had had for them. So, you know, uh, look in uh, verse four. Knowing brethren, beloved by God, His choice of you. You like that? For our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And then they became imitators and of the Lord. Receiving that word. There's some boldness in Paul that I really appreciate. You know, he uh, he goes into the synagogue. And the synagogue, I don't know if you're familiar with the synagogue and how it's set up. 
but usually anybody can speak. Um, but uh, it's those that take the initiative. It's kind of like a brotherhood. Anybody familiar with the brotherhood? Mm-hmm. It's a, a religion called the brotherhood, and if you walk into their assembly, you can... Uh, and no one's the pastor there. Anybody can just speak up and they can start speaking. That's sort of like that synagogue is. And so it's kind of uh, interesting how that Paul would go there three times and yet he would take the initiative. And that same way was Jesus. When Jesus would go into the synagogue, he would take the initiative and speak up. And uh, so it was it, the floor was open to anybody that really wanted to speak. So that's because, you know, I... I think that I've often wondered, well, how in the world did he get a chance to be able to speak? I mean, he wasn't a guest speaker. Did someone invite him or something <laughs> yeah. to that effect? Well, it wasn't that case. It's just someone who came in. He came in and took the initiative and began to speak, and they gave him the floor. And uh, God then uh, just kind of took over, didn't he? He sure did. <laughs> <But laughs> words spoke. It's amazing how bold this guy is. You know, he's a small in stature, but he's a giant in the faith. Uh, just so bold, and uh, appreciate that. Yeah, that's uh, <coughs> and e- either people loved him or they hated him. That's right. <laughs> that's true. And he didn't make a lot of enemies at this place, but you know, he has the content, and that is what he is so confident in. Um, and of course, it wasn't just content only. Um, definitely, as he said here, it was the power and the Holy Spirit with the Word of God. I mean, the two go hand in hand. There's your your power there. And um, it's interesting to know that once salvation happened, these Thessalonians now had the resource that they needed now to live a powerful life. And uh, that's the Holy Spirit who resides in them. Um, and we know that in Berea they were noble and that they reasoned from the scriptures and checked it out themselves. And, you know, we always like that, you know, but uh, here nice it is. have a church full of that, wouldn't it? What's that? It'd be nice to have a church full of oh, Berea. Yeah, that's right. I mean, that's, matter of fact, I think there are some churches known as the Berean church. You know? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, Trying to right. model after that. I don't know what, uh, what their situation is, but... Uh, we know that, that that's coming up in, in his uh, journey. And it's, it's amazing how God just keeps moving him to different places. And uh, what he's doing is going to get him in trouble. But God knows what he's doing. And so strife comes. Um, some of them, and th- these are Jewish people at first here, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas in, in becoming believers. And look at this along with a large number of the God-fearing Greeks. And we've seen that many times through Acts. It's almost like every chapter. The God-fearing Greeks. And Lydia was one of those God-fearers. And other ones have been. Uh, Of course, I think of uh, Simon the Tanner, uh, or or, Cornelius, I mean, uh, and his whole family. There's people that were... Uh, not necessarily Jewish people, but they they liked Judaism, but they didn't call themselves proselytes. For one thing, the circumcision thing was a thing that uh, that's where they halted it there. That's enough, you know. We're not getting into that, but they uh, would actually 
believe the scriptures out of the Old Testament, and um, so they would come to synagogue too. And it shows that there are a number of believing women. Now, that is something we've seen many times before too. And it seems like the women made a, a big impact in this city as well as many other places or prominent. They had prominent um, families that they came from, households that were married to maybe uh, other leading men and such. But uh, So you have your, your poor people who always come to Christ, but occasionally you have some people that are very well-to-do as far as maybe political or maybe financial. God does that. He says there are not many mighty, not many noble. It doesn't mean we're, all the Christians are all poor. <laughs> we may feel like we're poor and we fit right in there. But uh, actually, I, I think economically we're still rich compared to the rest of the world. We're right there in the top very echelon when you really think about it. But we might be going through some struggling financial times. But um, God certainly is blessed. And what a time we live in. Uh. So, you have uh, Jews coming to Christ and now these Greeks and women. And it says large numbers. That probably has a lot to do with the Jews getting very angry. They don't necessarily like the content that Paul has been using, but now people are being converted and it's in big numbers. It says, but the Jews becoming jealous. That's interesting. I think of Romans 9, he, where God turns away from the nation of Israel mm-hmm. and yeah. goes to the Gentile world. And what was the reason for, as it says in Romans 9, mm-hmm. to make them jealous? And God is doing it right here. Because they were the chosen people and there was not going to be anybody else. It was really them. And if you're a Jew, you're in this thing because you're a Jew. Well, uh, when when you're talking about sovereignty of God and the election of God, and Jesus did it whenever He went into the synagogue and um, He would he would preach on, on the sovereignty of God. where And where God went to certain... Um, a, like a Gentile woman of all things, right? Uh, and and uh, he would use some Old Testament analogies of that. And the people were ready to what? To stone him. In fact, they they ran him out of his own synagogue out of, at his own town in Nazareth. Took him, they wanted to take him to the precipice of the city and he slipped out of their midst. He's really talking about the sovereignty of God and election there. <laughs> and it still makes people mad, doesn't it? Makes them so angry. Well, these Jews are jealous, very angry, and they take along some wicked men from the marketplace. I would tend to think this being still a Gentile city, although there are many Jews uh, evidently here and having a synagogue, they go to some wicked men, could be Gentiles, probably are, and they mix with them from the marketplace. Wicked men. Now, we're running into conflict here. Um, Anytime that holiness comes into an unholy environment, it's going to cause conflict. These wicked men, the word for that is paneros. And that means not just some bad guys. They're, they're wicked. They're evil. Um, and what were, these, what were these Jews so envious about? Well, I think 
some of the leading members, you know. Uh, now a part uh, of the people that were in the synagogue are part of the church and maybe they're putting some money. Leading women, prominent people, prominent men and women putting money into this church, you know. Uh, it doesn't say that, but eventually, you know, they, they will if they haven't yet. Um, we know that Paul would collect offerings wherever he went. Later on, we know about that and, uh, to be taken back to Jerusalem. Um, there definitely was offering to be done. That's a part of the worship. So that would be one thing that would bother Jewish people, wouldn't it? Uh, money is one of the first things that stick out amongst the Jews. We all know about that, right? <laughs> As their typecast. It's interesting to me that these Jewish people would uh, fit in with these Gentile Ponaros people. I mean, they were evil, but you know, usually you have to talk their language. Yeah, you got to you got to kind of associate with them in some way to get them to follow you. I mean, unless they were paying them something under the table yeah. or something. But, uh, friends with them but uh, you know, that, yeah, that to me would say, well, you know, you're, you're, a, you're a Jewish person yeah. and you're following after the things of the Lord and you're you're hanging around these kind of people. <laughs> That's right. Did that happen around Jesus' time? Let's see. Uh, you had the Pharisees and the Sadducees going together. Uh, they were at odds. <laughs> I mean, totally at odds. But all of a sudden, they made strange bedfellows. So, here we have this. Yeah. The, the guys at the marketplace. Yeah, why did they care? I just... Well, they hated Paul so much. They went ahead and went ahead became... Uh... <laughs> Uh, the system, the world system cannot tolerate holiness. And definitely that, that happens. These guys are of a baser sort. Um, they're worthless characters. And they really are what you would call depraved. I mean, everybody is depraved if you're not, not a, a believing Christian. But when you think of depraved, I mean, as far as their character is concerned... Uh, they have a profession. Uh, their profession is to go to the, this marketplace, the Agora, and that's where everybody met. And, of course, the civil authorities would be there. This was the place. And these guys would hang out there. You know, like there used to be like a downtown area, and you would get uh, the guys standing on the corner, and all they're doing is they're, just, they're local hooks, and they're waiting for something to really get started. They're, they're marketplace loafers. They're idle fellows. Uh, I think the Old Testament, you see sometimes worthless fellows. Uh, that, that's these kind of guys. Guys who hung around, they, they do nothing in the marketplace. They're waiting for trouble. Waiting for something to happen. <laughs> that's the marketplace for the day. Maybe Walmart. You know, and I, I keep, it seems like I keep going back to this, but these guys were like professional agitators in a sense. I mean, these guys can get, gather a company. They're really good at getting crowds together and getting them up in an uproar. And does that take us to what's happening in our time in the last few months? <laughs> so, you know, they're really good at get a riot going. Um, you know, 
these men are very seditious. They're, they're revolutionaries. They are, and matter of fact, but they're looking at, the Jewish people are looking at these Christians as being revolutionaries. And so they'll go to uh, all links, whatever it takes to get these guys out of here and what they're preaching. So they got everybody all stirred up. Now, Jewish people themselves get those guys, they just kind of sit back. They're not going to get in part of that, they're, you know, in, into this big mob and things, because these guys can do it. And they get the people going. And they don't even know what's going on. A lot of people, and they're going, oh, let's join the crowd over here. <laughs> Next thing you know, they're ready to kill somebody. Turning cars over. <laughs> Turning chariots over. Yeah. Burning buildings down. Well, so what do they do? Well, they form a mob, says in verse 5, and they set the city in an uproar. They attack the house of Jason. Well, they attack the house of Jason because that is where Paul and Silas, all those guys are hanging out. And so here comes what looks like a whole town almost. I mean, uh, they're going to assault the house of, of Jason. Jason evidently is one who had become a Christian. And uh, so he is is housing Paul and Silas and Timothy. Can you imagine taking those guys into your house? I mean, what a foundation that he, he had to be getting. And so uh, old Jason is there. And next thing you know, they can't find them. So the next best thing is to take Jason and take him to the rulers of the city. Now... Remember, this is a riot. Huh? Yeah, uh, it's just his house, and he's always lived there. And next thing you know, it's well, verse 6, when they didn't find them, they began dragging, dragging Jason and some brethren on before the city authorities, shouting, these men who have upset the world have come here also, or have turned the world upside down. And they take him before the authorities. They go to city hall. <laughs> and... And so they want some action there. And uh, so, you know... Yeah. That's the same dragging you talked about last week. Yeah. Where they dragged him. Yeah, it, it, could be, it could be a literal sense that they're, as they're dragging him out. So um, they've got to include Jason in on this, and he's the only one they could capture. They, they really wanted probably Paul. Paul. Mm-hmm. Because he's the one that's going to stand out when he's in the synagogue like... What uh, Luke was saying there is that everybody is going to know who Paul is. Now he's not a man of big stature. That's why he's, he's probably a small. That's why he's duck <laughs> yeah, but you know, I mean, there's no way that after three weeks that people didn't know about him, and they could pick him out of a crowd real quick. Now Silas and Timothy probably had a little bit different demeanor. They had the same truth. They had preached the same truth, but. Um, Paul is the one, and that's really who they're they're going to be after, and that's why he's going to have to get out of there. But uh, these who turn the world upside down, the first charge there is a it's a general revolution. They're saying that um, they started a revolution. These Jewish guys who are supposed to be Christians, these guys are revolutionaries. They're radicals. We have to do something about it. They're chopping at the very roots of everything that we believe in and the, the sacredness of our Judaism. And they're messing up our whole continuity that we have. So they charge them with a general revolution. But 
the one that they really charged him with, where it would get the interest of the Greek people, is the same thing they did with Jesus. So you appeal to them this way. And Jason has welcomed them, and they all act contrary to the decrees of Caesar, Mm -hmm. saying that there is another king, Jesus. Now that's high treason. And that's even worse. Because in the Roman Empire, and in this major city like this, that this word is getting around that they actually are committing to another king. And, uh, of course, that's how you appeal to the, the Gentiles. Well, they stirred up the crowd and the city authorities who heard these things. And when they'd received a pledge from Jason, now that's interesting, Jason has uh, an arrangement. Um, that whole city is in turmoil. And all of a sudden, I think the leaders of the city are probably getting concerned here because you know how things can get out of hand real quick with a riot. And so if they can get Jason to do something, that there's a pledge that he can do in, before an explosion happens here, before something really goes crazy. Uh, they don't want a riot on their hands. There's nobody, No civil authorities want that. They do want something taken care of. And um, they... They took security there of Jason and the others, but they let him go. And I thought they were really smart on this. They let them go because Jason comes across with a, with a bond, um, a pledge. He's guaranteeing that Paul wouldn't trouble him anymore, even Silas and Timothy. So they had Jason on the spot there. And if he can keep this right from happening, who knows all the things that can happen out of this, um, so he he does this. Now turn over to First um, Thessalonians again in chapter two seventeen. Paul was really wanting to see them again because. You know, he just fell in love with the Thessalonians, and he does with anybody that becomes believers. But, but we brethren, calls them brothers, brethren, having been taken away from you for a short while, in person, not in spirit, were all the more eager with great desire to see your face. Now watch this. For we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan hindered us. Don't know for sure, but in reading a lot of the commentaries that I, I read, that Paul would like to have come back and seen him. We know about that scripture. That's true. This whole setup here, there was a security made, a bond that was made that Jason did. And it was more or less that somebody like Paul is, can't come back. He's going to have to leave. He's going to have to leave the city. That's how that riot was able to stop. It was almost like there really wasn't a way that he's going to get back in there like he wanted to at that time. As long as those magistrates were there, um, they would see to it. And if he came in there preaching the word that he does, well, you know, they they broke the bond. And so that was um, something that Jason did. Some people kind of um, demean Jason for that. 
but maybe there was some wisdom used in it. Um, it, it seems there's a, a permanence there. Um, Paul definitely wanted to get back to them, but I think his writings, his epistles, show us even more than what we would known had he just gone back there. Um, and he does have a concern that he always wants to disciple people mm-hmm. and have them grow. Mm-hmm. He's only been there for like three Sabbaths. And we don't know exactly how long after that is, but it seems like that's about the length of time. And if that be the case, of course, he's had some other times with them, but that's not very long for them to get solid in, in, in Christ and, and his word. So, you know, you look back there, and we see that he's the one that's going to leave here at, at, at this time. Um, there's a release. Jason gets to go back home. And um, it says in verse 10, The brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. That's by night. They're immediately, they're sending them out of there. Because they, they know. Um, these are probably very, very young believers, but they know what could happen. And usually Paul, it doesn't bother him, he goes into another jail, but uh, because they insist, he goes on uh, away. They went into, uh, so they go to Berea, Paul and Silas do. When they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. The synagogue of the Jews. There we go again. And you think, okay, I've been to synagogues and I know what happens. Maybe I need to try a different method. Paul doesn't change his method. He doesn't change his content. He does the same thing he's been doing all along because he knows. Even though circumstances would tell us, hey, I've a bad situation here, and you have to use wisdom. But, you know, Paul used wisdom. And his wisdom was he knew that he was to preach the gospel and he left it up to a sovereign God on whatever would happen. And, uh, of course, you know, we, I think in this case he used the sovereignty of God and probably used some wisdom in getting out of the city. He's preached the gospel. Uh, there will be others who will be able to build him up. And he writes his letters and such. Um, anyway, uh, there they are. And same kind of pattern there. And now, these were more noble-minded than those in Thessalonica. That's just where we came from. I think that's interesting. They're more noble-minded. Eugenus. That means to be, and is a beginning or born. It's the good born. You, you know, you've heard of eulogy. Eulogy, a good word. This is good born or high born. Noble. Uh, more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they received the word with all readiness of mind. They searched the scriptures daily. It says they received the word with great eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. They didn't wait till the next Sabbath. They just went to the scrolls right there in the synagogue and probably just rolled it out on the floor. And I'm just kidding, but however it was, not everybody could take those scrolls home, you know. And they just poured over. Who knows how many hours afterwards that they they went after it on themselves? And they checked it out every day. They just didn't wait around till next week. They did it daily. 
And they got plugged into the Old Testament. They, in, in, in one sense, I think you could say they were probably a little more spiritual uh, at this time, if I can use that term, get away with it. Um, they were more spiritual Jews than the ones in Thessalonica in the sense that they really were hungry for this. This is fascinating. And they willingly received the gospel. Willingly received it. They couldn't wait to see what was what was next. And so they went to those passages that Paul had been teaching on and probably went to some other ones. They reminded them of some other passages and they pondered on it and they you know they, they knew that oh, this is something to it here. This this is it. Um, 2 Corinthians 8, verse 11. 2 Corinthians 8, 11. Now, but now finish doing it also, so that just as there was the readiness to desire it, so there may also be the completion of it by your ability. There was a, you know, Christ was their pattern, they, they desired but they... They had this readiness. They they desired. And this is Corinthians. Verse 12. For if the readiness is present, it is acceptable according to what a person has, not according to what he does not have. So whatever you have, then God blesses that. I think in verse 19... Yeah, here's it's dealing with readiness. And not only this, but he has also been appointed by... I think it's speaking of Titus, uh, by the churches to travel with us in this gracious work which is being administered by us for the glory of the Lord Himself and to show our readiness, just leaping on it, excited, really desiring to do it with earnest. And so that's, as Christians, we should always be in that frame of mind. Um, I think one more is that Paul likes to use that word readiness. Verse 2, For I know your readiness. He's talking about the ministry to the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the Macedonians. And that's where we're at in Thessalonica. That was 9. Verse 2. Namely, that Achaia has been prepared since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So in Corinth, even though you see almost nothing but negative things about Corinth, the Corinthian church, the, the believers there, and they had to be reprimanded almost everything, here they were very much ready. Uh, and uh, Paul boasted about them in that, and their zeal that they had. And that would stir up other churches. And he's talking about the Macedonians, and we're talking Thessalonica and Berea and around that area. So that's, that's interesting. But... Um, the Bereans, what did they do? They what? Search the scriptures daily. And I think this group there was pretty sharp. I think they were content-oriented. I think they were into doctrine. They searched it. And I think the reason, one of the reasons that people will not believe is that they don't investigate the scripture. Right. Uh, people will say, I don't believe the Bible. And how many times have you probably said, well, have you ever read it? Yeah. I, I don't agree with everything in the yeah. Bible. And you can say, well, what is that that you what, what, don't what agree, agree with? with? And you'll find out that a lot of them have never even read it. 
haven't even opened it up, and yet they cannot believe the Bible. As a matter of fact, you can come back and say, well, you must be a scholar of tremendous repute to say such a thing. You don't believe the Bible. That means you have read it from cover to cover and studied it, and you came to this truth. You know that the Bible covers hundreds of years, thousands of years of history. It covers all the revelation of God, and He's the one who made this universe. And um, you must have a, a tremendous amount of information to say that. And the guy just goes, uh, hmm. uh, well, I'm a, you must have studied for years. You know the Bible well. How about that great philosopher Thomas Paine wrote The Age of Reason, since we're talking about reason. The Age of Reason, quite a classic work against God. He boasts against God. He blasts out Christ. He was an atheist. He blasted the Bible. He reputed everything that was in it that was of, of any worthy note. And he died without God. And he knew it as he was dying. And uh, it's interesting, there's um, one quote that he had in that uh, book, The Age of Reason, I had neither the Bible or the New Testament to refer. What is the New Testament? <laughs> neither the Bible or the New Testament to refer, though I was writing against both. Yeah. Now, what kind of scholarship is that? He evidently doesn't know where the Old Testament is. He never read it. If you're going to attack something, you have to know what it's saying. Mm-hmm. You, uh, you try turning into a term paper without uh, sources. You have to have your sources. You have to have those listed to show that whether you're for it or against it, those quotes have to come from someplace. Well, mm-hmm. he said that, um, you know, he he had neither the Bible. He, he he didn't he didn't read it, and he attacked it, but he had no knowledge of it whatsoever. That's showing um, ignorance. That's obvious if he thinks the Bible and the New Testament are two different books. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. That first statement right there. Preaching in churches, um, people will, they're Baptists by convenience and not by conviction, and they will oppose the teaching. But yet, they, if you you stand them up and say, "Okay, show me in the Word of God that I'm wrong," they don't know where to go. They don't know what to say. And if you say, "Well, if you believe this, then show me in the Word of God why you believe this," they they can't show it to you. So they're, they're really they're Baptists by convenience. What I refer is convenience because their mom and dad were a Baptist and and so on and so forth. So therefore, they're Baptists by convenience, but they're not by conviction. They don't know the Word of God. Would you say the Jews, whenever Paul would come into the synagogue, many of them would have that same mentality. Mm-hmm. It seems like the, some of the people in the church today would be not unlike what the Jew was. They were comfortable in their situation, mm-hmm. but they had no truth to stand on. That's right. Even though it might have been taught to them very well. That's right. Well, uh, I work with this woman as everybody almost knows Joyce. Mm-hmm. And... I used to read the Bible, especially the Old Testament, because I found my greatest evidence there. I thought for this vengeful, wrathful God. And I would take my Bible in to Joyce and say, 
can I read you something out of your Bible? And she'd always say, sure. And I would read about, you know, God wiping out a whole city and the women and the children and all that. And I'd say, tell me how you can follow a God like that, Joyce. I do not understand. How can you follow, love a God like that? That's unbelievable to me. Didn't bother her at all. And it didn't bother her that she couldn't explain it to me. Or it bothered she like you, you were reading the Bible. She was just like, just, you just keep reading that Bible. <laughs> <laughs> she doesn't think it. She she said, I don't know, know this. I just know God. And whatever he does is right. I said, oh, man. Yeah, yeah, go find me another one. Yeah, go there. Keep reading. Were, were, yeah. were you what? Would you have called yourself an atheist at the time then? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was a lot of Eastern stuff I believed in. But that was, I mean, you know, I believed that we were all going to end up that as one. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, very yeah. nice and convenient. Right? Yeah, so you, he, it made so much more sense. So you become a trophy of grace then. Huh? Mm-hmm. You become a trophy of grace. Yeah, that's right. Anyway, I can't believe it. Just like all of us. I'd never. I'm sorry it was so late. I'd like for it to have been earlier, but. I know, I think of that too all the time. I'm wasted, but. God, I mean, that's right. When you see the sovereign God. That's right. Yeah. I couldn't have come to him unless until he got me at the time that he wanted. But he works in you all during that time, and he sends the right people along, like the lady you went to. And and I wonder what would happen if she would have been able to explain maybe a little bit more. But she believed God could do that, and but I she couldn't Elden, understand. And Elden could explain. He, com- he completed that on out, right? <laughs> but now she just said, yeah. "I don't know. Ask Elden." <laughs> You know, my problem, you had talked about people say they don't agree with it, but they can't quote you any specific chapter or verse why they think it's wrong. And I'm just the opposite. I have a horrible memory, and I know what Scripture says, and I can tell somebody what it says, but to be able to prove it by quoting chapter and verse or taking it, I can't do that. I know it's on the right side of the page. There you go. <laughs> Halfway there. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm good just knowing it's the Old Testament or the New Testament at this point. But, or, you know, well, I can get it down to the book maybe, but not chapter and verse. also then down to the use of different gifts for different things. Yeah. And as, as time goes on, see, you're a relatively new Christian, yes. And as time goes on, your memory gets worse. Yeah, I know. <laughs> You're not telling me something I don't already know, Danny. Believe me. I, I know what that is, yeah. But at the same time, but the more that... You, and that's why it's so good to be in Bible studies and then your own study and, you know, part of the church and, you know, you're you're getting things from other people. But as you read... The more there are certain ones that will stick out in your mind that you yeah. really know. Like I said, Isaiah fifty-three, and everybody in here is going, "Yeah, I, mean, I know." We would go to that. See, yeah. see yeah. those kind of things. And the more that you're into it, the more that it will stick. Even though I know that our memories get a little worse as time goes on. Well, I, I don't like it when I knew I knew something. It's like, how do I get that back up? When I know, yeah. you know, when you realize, like, there's something that was so clear to me, and then when I want to bring it back up, you're sitting there going. 
I can give you spits and sputters, but I can't draw the whole thing. Well, you remember best mm-hmm. what you learned as a small child. Um, and I learned Catholicism as a yeah. small child. There is child. an advantage to that. So, that's, yeah. that's true. So, but memorizing scripture yeah. or going over, that's why we need to read the Bible every and day. Drinking it in, and you, like I said, I said, you know how much you've drunk in and how much you maintain what you drink in and stuff like that. It's like, where the radio is on all the time and stuff like that, too. It's constantly going in. But like I said, they're really sometimes the depth stuff they're certainly talking about. Like, stand there for a minute, and it's like going, okay, this yeah. is, this is, this, I'm going to remember this. And I'd love to be able to listen to that yeah. all day long, but we... Yeah. I can't. I can't read or write a report and listen to words. I can listen to music, but right. I can't. Well, you guys have heard line upon line, precept upon precept. A lot of times, I mean, and you you've heard thousands of sermons or hundreds of sermons, and there's probably not one sermon that you could probably quote um, very many lines from. But the thing is, those principles that you have, you you have it more and drilled into you more and more. If you happen to be doing expository Bible study, you're in a section. As you've gone through there, you may not know exactly where some of those verses are at, but you definitely have that principle. We were seeing that pattern, like the synagogue thing. And the more we hear these things, the more it sticks there. We don't know where we got those from, but in time, all of a sudden it's there. It's a basis. And you know, um, there's that line upon line, precept upon precept. It's it's an an ever going uh, thing that we we grow in, grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord our Savior. Um, even though we may not be so great at taking particular verses, and, and if there's certain ones that we know we really need, um, you know, at least you know, keep those in mind, keep those fresh. I think of the Philippians. Um, passage uh, where it talks about peace, you know, uh, and and getting people to know what peace is, and thinking upon these things, and um, there are just certain places that it's good to at least hold on to, and then you, you take yourself back to that, and then go back into the context and see why that was said, and the more that you read and study, the more of a how can you say uh, a pattern that you have that things start jumping off the page more than before, and, and it's always alive. So well, it helps you when you go back into like all the low spots because you've once been there before. Mm-hmm. It's like the Holy Spirit helps you bring it up quicker, so you don't stay in the, the wrong thinking very long right. and stuff like that. Yeah, it's like there starts to be such a past history with what you've already been through with Him. It's easier for you to go back. Okay, I know where I want to head back into and get my thinking right again and not be so caught up in whatever the situation is. Well, they say the memory is a muscle, and if you don't exercise it, it, you lose it. And so Carmela and I have started, we've chosen, like we're doing James chapter 3, and we're holding each other accountable because sometimes my mouth gets me in trouble, so I figured that would be a good good (laughs) one to start with. So we're going to memorize the whole chapter. And being accountable to somebody yeah. that helps you, that, and that drives you on more. That's that's good. That's a really good thing. You'll never you once you get that memorized, you won't yeah. forget it. Or you might. I've got verse one memorized. That's far as I've got. Good start. Good start. That's right. Great. Well, look at look at these guys. Okay, we know they examine the scriptures daily to see whether that was so. If this is really true, then I'm going to commit to it. If it's not, then these guys are fakes. They can move on. But we're checking this out. 
they at least checked that out. I, I think of Johnny so many times as he had people coming, you know, telling him about uh, this this Jesus and uh, this Bible thing, and uh, they were wanting him to go to church. I need to check it out. And he started examining it, didn't he, Frida? He checked it out, and he kept reading yeah, and looking into it. He was so mad at me one time he hung up on me. Oh! I what? You hung the phone up on me at one time. I hung up. I don't know where you're coming from. <laughs> <laughs> you sure have been cut off. That must be a convenient memory. I don't remember that. I'm going to talk to you later about that one. conversation about early on. Yeah, well, that was before we moved down here. you got to remember, at first, he wouldn't go to church at all. That was He said, well, why can't we just have a Bible study here? And I thought, well, yeah, we probably could, and um, because he wasn't going to go to church. So you had Bible study right in your house? We had, yeah. And people came? Oh, yeah, Mark. You met Mark, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Mark really, really helped him a lot, I think. Um, Mark was really good. Plus, he kept Ed under control. He didn't get mad. You never hung up the phone on me. <laughs> <laughs> i got to talk to you later. <laughs> You've got somebody else in mind, right? You got... Really? <laughs> he might have just said he lost the signal or something. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Therefore, many of them believed. This time it's not persuaded. This is an active verb. It's pastuo. It's active in that they had sought it out for themselves. Even though the Holy Spirit's working in both people, the Thessalonians and now the Bereans, but they not only took what Paul said, but they really checked it out. They really examined it, really studied it, looked it out, and then they be, they believed. And of course, it's God that uh, that converts them and gets them to that point. But it was they were diligently studying. They verified it on their own. So some believed. Uh, verse 4, uh, there's a persuasion, a passive sense, and Paul and Silas and their teaching and such. But um, um, we know that uh, when, when you think back about Jason and some people in his house, and then in chapter 20, I don't have time to go through it, but you have Aristarchus and Secundus, which gives us at least three names of, of those. And so you got Paul and Silas, devout Greeks, great multitude, just a few Jews believed back in Thessalonica. Here you have another sense where a whole bunch of Gentiles believed, and but also you're having many Jews believing too. Chief women, not a few. So it's you have both cities working here and a beginning of, of a church in each of these cities. A big number of Gentiles, a lot of chief women, some Jews, and they were always the most difficult. And they believed. And we know that in the synagogue it says many believed. They're more noble, uh, honorable women, whether they be Greeks, Greek men, Greek women, um, but now, uh, I think you have a lot of Jews. Quite a harvest going on here. The church in Berea is born. And what's interesting is you never hear another word about Berea. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? One shot, boom, they're on the scene. And then that's it. But Thessalonica, we hear a lot about. 
in different books. And of course, we have the epistles. And they became known as like one of the most beloved churches that Paul ever wrote to. He just loved those people. And um, I think of all the churches that are written in the New Testament, they seem to be the ones most like Christ in a lot of ways. When you read those epistles, I mean, they're, they're, everybody is like, becomes like Christ, but he had a lot of good things to say about them. But here's the conflict, and we're getting close to the end here. Um, many of them believed, along with a number of prominent Greek women. And so when I said many of them believed, we're talking about the Jews there believing. There was a few before in the other place. But when the Jews of Thessalonica, now the ones who didn't become converted, when the Jews of Thessalonica found out about it, it's not in Berea where the Jews are disturbed, it's back in Thessalonica found out that the Word of God had been proclaimed. <laughs> found out the Word of God had been proclaimed by Paul in Berea. Um, boy, he's an enemy, and everything that he spouts out of his mouth is something terrible to them. So they go to Berea. Uh, boy, now I'm getting confused. I think it's like 60 miles away. I'm not sure, but I think. They came there as well, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then um, it sounds like the same thing, right? At Thessalonica. So they stir up the crowd. That's the best way to get something going. Mm-hmm. They just don't come in there and attack him personally. They get everybody on him. Then immediately, look at that, the brethren sent Paul out. They know what can happen. Evidently, riots in those areas probably had happened before. And these guys say, you've got to get out of here. And um, it's interesting. Immediately, the brethren sent Paul out to go as far as the sea. And Silas and Timothy remained there. Mm-hmm. He started going out to the sea, and I think of the language is talking about he, he made a cut, though. You know, he's confusing. They're thinking he's going... And, and Thessalonica, you're really close to the sea there. If you look at your maps and such, I'm going there. But, and it is 50 uh, or something. Yeah. Right. About an hour's walk or so. Yeah. <laughs> Dry. No. <laughs> anyway, the Christians there, the ones who became Christians, uh, they're sending him out. And, but Silas and Timothy are going to remain. So Paul is another... That's really the guy they really want, isn't it? Well, you know, the thing about that is really interesting to me is that why would they hate Paul more than they would hate anybody else? And uh, I, th- I think it's several reasons. One, he was trained under, under Galileo. And um, Paul was a very astute Jewish man, um, and he uh, he held the robes of those that stoned Stephen. Uh, he was a persecutor of the church. Uh, he was a hallmark of the Jewish religion. And uh, <clears throat> so when he defected, it was kind of like getting out of the Roman Catholic religion, and your parents are just upset terribly and uh, they just won't even have you come back into the home anymore because you've, you've defected. Well, here is Paul. He defected from that religion, and uh, he had come to know Christ. Now, they they have an animosity toward him now. He was, he was even more than what they were. That's right. 
That's and for right. him to do that the shows and it's possible for anybody to come underneath. Well the other Jews would see the yeah. That's and right. Because he was so well respected and everything right. he was the Jew of Jews if he said that he, he Yes, he that's why I say he was up there high and, and they respected him greatly and thought he was that but then when he came to know Christ as his savior And if he could have that manipulation under him, then absolutely. that's why they tried to get him out of there. They hated him. Yeah. Hated him with a bitter passion. Mm-hmm. So with Silas and uh, Timothy remaining back, I said, "Well, they're just peons." Yeah. Here is here is Paul, the big guy. Yeah, he's that's the big small. guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, like they didn't have any power. Paul was the one that had all the power. So they were. That's right. Him. Yeah. So he was just as zealous for Christ as he was zealous for mm-hmm. his Jewish religion. Right. Yeah. yeah, he was a uh, yeah, just as just as zealous for he he um, he left Silas and Timothy. And why would he do that? pretty obvious, right? Mm-hmm. Discipleship time. I think he had a great concern for new believers as, as well as Amen. we would have. Discipleship is so key. So he left them there. Uh, he left Luke. He left Silas. He left Timothy. And believe me, I think as strong as Paul was, he still wasn't an island. And we see that um, uh, verse 15, Now those who escorted Paul brought him as far as Athens and received a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible. They left. You guys stay there, do the discipling, but at the same time, uh, t- make sure you come uh, as, as quick as you can. Though. I believe he was, uh, he was hurting inside. I, I think he had to feel this. You know, He needs those guys. Uh, there is that humanness that Paul has that right. I don't usually relate to, but he's gone through a lot. Physically and mentally and spiritually and in every way. People and he was kicked out or had to be get away, so like somebody else had to come along to do the job that he so desired to do himself. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, only Luke was with him. Yeah, send them down here. I need them here, (laughs) you know. And so, isn't that the way it is? We we need our we need our Christians around us, you know, a lot of times. So, anyway. Uh, I think a lot of lessons involved there. We get to look at the, the character of uh, believers and, and then the people, how they come to Christ, and then how the message is either taken in a, a very receiving way or taken in a hateful way. And it's always been that way. It's nothing new. Um, so, anyway. You have been like Paul to me when you talk about caring for Oh, you're too kind. When you uh, talk about caring for new. Converts. I mean, I remember. Yeah, but I hang the phone up on somebody. <laughs> yeah. Well, I didn't have that experience. Yeah. But you, you've real, you've always taken the time to answer my questions, even like last night, in in such great detail, and you have really mentored me along in these. Can you believe it's been almost seven years? Wouldn't you guys do that too if somebody? Uh, I, I think it would. That's a mark of uh, a Christian desiring to, to share with yeah. others, you know. I mean, that's yeah. thank you for your, your kind words. Well, I know you don't like I, uh, I feel to far, yourself, short, far short of Paul, who was mighty short himself. But, um, <laughs> well, at I, any rate. I want to give a, give an ad for next Wednesday. I'm going to be doing a um, PowerPoint presentation on the renewing of the mind, um, both biblically and scientifically. Um, So uh, hopefully I can get it in 
in that period of time that's supposed to have it in. But, we never uh, get too upset if it goes over. Okay. But anyway, I'll, I'll show the biblical yeah. standpoint of what it means to have a, a renewing of your mind. And then I'll share with you what does it really happen to your mind scientifically. <coughs> That'll be really good. Really good. Thank you, Chris. I'll say Coming one up. word. I have appreciated this so much tonight. I can hear every word. Carolyn, I knew every word. That's true. I never hear a word. Maybe we should be here. It reminds you of, of the Heflin's house when you guys had your Bible study. Yeah. Yeah. Remember that? You guys had it for years and years. Yeah. And it, you know, it's kind of neat in a way. It's a lot more intimate. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I never yeah. hear anything on that side. That's the reason why I got two hearing aids. Anita? Yeah, she's going to have eye surgery. Uh, hopefully, she's my youngest daughter. Eye surgery? Yeah, she's Christmas. legally, yeah, that's when they're going to do it. My youngest daughter. Oh, okay. She's legally blind in her right eye. She has been for a long time. I know you don't notice it, but... Um, She's been having a lot of headaches, and they're going to go in, and they're going to do something with the muscles in the back of her eye. And either she'll see better, which she really doesn't see hardly anything out of that eye at all. Anyway, or she won't see anything out of that eye. Oh. Wow. She's been like that. So she had the strabismus or whatever, you know, when they have the crossed eyes. And she went through all the... Um, stuff to have them straightened out and everything, but she really didn't have to visit her eye either, so. Yeah, I know you guys look at her and you don't see it. No, she didn't see her Huh? On one of the memorial they get together? No, no, that's my youngest one. Okay. Pray for uh, Mick, 
who were going through uh, things that uh, some many young men go through and different different things. You know, everybody has their struggles and different situations, but. Uh, we pray for them and a lot of other uh, things that uh, we need to be praying for. Lord, we uh, uh, just look for your wisdom, your strength, your guidance, and uh, uh, may we be able to be like the Brians, being very noble and searching the scriptures and then living them out and being an example like the Thessalonians were too. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We'll see if there's questions in <laughs> you guys. Well, there's a praise that we could have put for. Fantastic. This, this, is, this is much better than for you now. That's not true, now, right? No, it's a lot. Me, financially. Yeah. You couldn't go any. You couldn't go any further. Well, less stress. Less stress. Yeah. I'll travel nine or ten times a year instead of. Yeah, it's kind of funny. We, we very rarely did we ever run into where you even missed on the Wednesday night. Because I arranged the schedule, so I was here. Wow. Yeah. How do you know about Zach and Zach? Yeah, Zach Whitson has, has been interviewing for different jobs, and sometimes it looks like, well, he's the perfect one. He shouldn't have any trouble at all getting that. And he doesn't. And then my Zach, yeah, as of last week, um, he already kind of knew that they were going to be going out of business at the oh, end of the year. At least that's what the owner said. Zach has really put a lot of time into this work, like 60 hours a week and doing wow. different projects I for him. I need to be in touch with you, Carolyn, and I guess we don't have... Well, this is pretty new, yeah, you know, and I so... Sometimes I don't know what's going on with people yeah. in the church. Well, he happened, he wasn't getting rewarded pay-wise, so he wanted a week off. He took a week off, uh, and one day last week, Tuesday or Wednesday, the owner came in there and just started ripping... He wasn't there. Wasn't there. Started ripping him to shreds and front of the helper, you know, that he hired, and then people, customers that were there, and she was just yelling about him and everything, and he has been over backwards, he has done a lot, he has doubled their business, um, and I mean, the numbers that he's done, for them, and, and, and she did that, and Andrew, who worked there, couldn't make it, and he walked out that day, and he quit working. Zach didn't go back to work because she probably wouldn't pay him anyway. That's what she does. But God will honor that. Well, that kind of conscientious and that wholehearted labor like he does. Yeah, he, he was working for not much over minimum for a whole year, and he was man, he was doing the stuff. He just kept saying, "Can you can you come in and answer some things?" I mean, there are certain things with the books and stuff, and she was getting on to him because he didn't do the books right. Well, he kept asking her, what am I supposed to do here? He was going out buying all the stuff for the business, the stuff that they needed for the day, food and the coffee. And he's doing every, He was doing all of her job. And she would never even come in. And uh, he, he told her one day, and I think she kind of got mad about that. She went around behind his back, telling that to people and everything. And he, he did a great job. I mean, you can just look at the numbers and see how they were thriving there and, and he's the one that caused it to happen. Nobody would come to the job outside or not. And I've been doing this one here. I've been having a lot of smiles. I know that. 
Well, that's the thing. If he can keep his mind on that kind of thought and realize that right now, I think he's, he's pretty angry about it. And um, I, I, I know he's really concerned about money because he doesn't have that's probably the last thing that he wants to do. But we know, we told him he knows that he can come back here any time. We've got room for him. Yeah, it would be. But but if it if he if it has to, uh, I'm sure he probably will. But you know he does. You know once you moved out, you don't want to do that. Well, that's another thing. No, he wants wants to be very serious because he doesn't like the idea of just dating and dating. He wants it to be a where that this is, would be a permanent relationship. That's how he would see. So he hasn't really sought after it. He has friends that happen to be girls, you know, that they've got a whole bunch of homeschoolers that used to be homeschoolers that hang around with, you know, and he does it with plays. Those people, they're all Christians, you know. And But he never took anybody really seriously. One time. Um, um, now that you ask me, I'm very. I, I, any other time I could tell you, I just. The, the thing is, she's. she's Evidently, he he wants a little more commitment out of her, and since she's back here for Christmas vacation, he wanted to be with. That's the reason he took that week off. And she's got other things to go. She lives in Bell, in Bell, but she's going to school up in Illinois, and so he hasn't really. He went up there and visited her one Sunday, you know, uh, week. So, but I think that's getting ready to fall through too and then he's going to a lot time yeah yeah that was a year ago yeah oh yeah he, he grew up with him really close to him uh, there's another guy that, that he hired to work there and he was a friend of Jordan also and his name is Ben they're all the same age, and they were homeschoolers, and then uh, actually wanted to start ministering to people and suicide, and then it wasn't too long ago back that came into a home and so... That's kind of scary. Yeah, uh, Ben. Ben is. I, you know, it's, it's like I'm sure Zach is getting surrounded all that. And it's got to be kind of depressing, you know. But he's the one that's kind of told a lot of things about those guys. He talks to them a lot. And whenever they get down, and you know, he's, he says, "Why do I always have to be the one doing this?" You know, it's almost like <laughs> I said, "Well, you know what? That's maybe that's what you're supposed to be doing." You know, but, is that right? Yep. I have come so close. I have 
previous But when they call him, then he gets them back on a little bit yeah. more about even heal again. That's interesting. So they actually usually will will come through on that. Do you know this this Ben guy? He was a good friend of Jordan. He's the one who did commit suicide. And down in Dallas. And the thing is, is that the one who committed suicide was actually thinking about going up to Seattle. And he wanted Ben to go up there with him. And you know, Ben does traveling all the time. He goes to Australia. I don't know. The Central America. And how he does it financially. But he's just one of those kind of kids that does that. But he didn't go there, and so they didn't go. And he holds it to himself that he didn't come through for Jordan on that. And that is really, he is very guilty. He feels guilty because of that. Of course, Zach is talking to him. feel guilty about that. Yeah. 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 Yeah.